Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. It's hard to imagine in this movie this morning, Unbroken, considering the torture that Zamperini endured from the Japanese. But he ended up with a life filled with joy and purpose because he discovered the incredible truth that forgiveness frees. Unbroken is one of the movies you chose, one of the five movies you picked for our summer and series at the movies. And as we've said all along, our goal is to find Christian truths in these films that apply to how we live our lives today. It's not just a movie, and it's not just about something in the past. Learning to see Christ in movies and life in general is a great gift and skill because it enables us to keep Jesus front and center in our lives all the time. Not simply one hour on Sunday, but wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm enduring, that Christ is there with me. That his spirit is always in me for those of us who've received Christ in our lives so that we live out our faith all throughout our day, every day, because that's what God intends. In our first week, the the movie Avengers, we saw that we're better together. Last week, in the movie The Princess Bride, we realized God has a relentless love for you and me and everyone we know. And this week, we turn to Unbroken. Unbroken is the amazing true story of Louis Louis Zamperini, an Olympic athlete who survives a plane crash into the Pacific during World War II and captured and brutally tortured by the Japanese. The movie itself is based on the book by Laura Hillenbrand, the biography on Zamperini's life called Unbroken, a World War II story of survival, resilience, and redemption. And that book was published in 2010. Screenwriters included the Coen brothers, Joe and Ethan, and the movie was directed by Angelina Jolie. Uh, It it turns out, actually a little interesting piece of trivia, that that where Angelina Jolie lived in the Los Angeles area on a hillside, looking from her hill down, not knowing this for decades, her home overlooked Louis Zamperini's actual home. You can see from her, her backyard, you can see his backyard. Really kind of an interesting uh, piece of information. The movie grossed about $115 million in North America, received a standing ovation at the New York Film Festival and by the Screen Actors Guild Nominating Committee, and it wasn't uncommon for, for audiences who saw it at the end of the movie to stand and cheer. Louis Zamperini himself died on July 2nd, 2014, just over a year ago, at the age of 97, before, unfortunately, the movie opened this past year on Christmas Day, and yet he was able to watch a rough cut of it in the hospital before he passed away on Jolie's own laptop. The movie shows Zamperini's incredible perseverance as he survives the plane crash, which in itself would be horrific, but then to be on the sea for 47 days in a life raft, uh, most of the time with only one other individual, hungry, thirsty, surviving on seabirds and fish, avoiding sharks, even having 
their location strafed by enemy gunfire. At one point, Louis makes a deal with God that if he can survive, he'll serve God the rest of his days. And he manages to hold on until they are finally rescued. But unfortunately, he is rescued by the Japanese. He is now down to 65 pounds in real life. Let that soak in for a minute. Full-grown man, 65 pounds. He goes from life raft to prisoner of war camp, and, and there encounters Mutsuhiro the bird, Watanabe, a Japanese sergeant who seems to relish in treating Zamperini cruelly because he, Zamperini had run but didn't place at the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. One of the interesting criticisms of the film, in fact, is that, if anything, it failed to show the true depths of desperation and horror that Zamperini endured, both on the life raft for 47 days and in the prisoner of war camp for nearly for something like two and a half years. In fact, the, the actor Miyavi, who played the role of Mutuhiro, the bird Watanabe, said that in making the film, he had to keep his distance from Jack O'Connell, who played Zamperini, because of the, the, the brutality that was required of him to exercise onto this actor was so intense that he could not afford to feel connection. And, and they, they said at the scene near the end, if you're familiar with the movie, where he forces Zamperini to lift that, that uh, uh, plank over his head, which was depicted there briefly in there, that, that scene was so upsetting for him, so traumatic, that he ended up throwing up on the, on the set during the scene. It was that difficult to do. When they were finally freed with the end of the war, Zamperini returned to the States and, and as a hero. And soon he married, he had a child. And at this point, we could say the message should be about this, this incredible man who persevered against all hardship and overcame adversity, and, and, and you would think that surviving through all of that would be, and that from then on his life would go pretty well. But, and that might be the movie version, but the real life version is that his life didn't suddenly become great. Yes, he traded a prison, but the horrors of that prison continued as he experienced nightmares every night because of, his, of all he'd been through. He began drinking heavily, even destructively, trying to numb the pain that he was going through. Uh, finally, at one point in 1949, in, in, in a dream, in a nightmare, he is choking his wife. And she, that day, asks for a divorce. But God had a better plan and here's a clip from a, a Christian Broadcasting Network interview Zamperini did in 2003 that tells us what happened next. Watch. The war is over. Peace has come. Americans celebrate as Americans have never celebrated before. September 1945, and Louis Zamperini was liberated. He arrived in the U.S. within the month. So the war's over. I'm alive. But now it's a whole new life. The American hero was busy being a celebrity but found the time to fall in love with Cynthia Applewhite. He proposed 10 days after meeting her, but couldn't shake his demons. Now I got married, I have a little girl, and I'm still suffering nightmares, waking up uh, screaming, uh, strangling the, uh, the bird, 
And one night I accidentally strangled my wife and my dream, and she got scared. Doing some drinking too? Well, that's all I did. I drank, uh, I just figured the more I drank, the, the, the better I'd sleep at night. So I was out every night drunk. My wife refused to go with me, and uh, she decided on a divorce, and had every right for a divorce. And then somebody had talked her into going to hear a, a new evangelist, a young evangelist called Billy Graham. I ask you tonight, are you prepared to meet God? Are you prepared to meet God the moment you die? His wife came to Christ at the crusade and had good news for Louis. She said, because of my conversion, Louis, I'm not going to get a divorce. Boy, I was happy. Then she and her newly found Christian friends were all over me, and I avoided them like a plague. But he was desperate to save his marriage, so he reluctantly agreed to attend the next Billy Graham meeting. He talks about one person only, the person of Jesus Christ, for 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, he read the scriptures, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I knew I was a sinner, but I didn't like the idea of someone else reminding me, you know. Well, if anybody had ever asked me if I believed that Christ was the Son of God, I would have said, yes, all my life I believed it. But the heart, no, I never, I knew somehow if I believed it in my heart, my life would have been different. So I knew I didn't possess the Savior. And, uh, but I still didn't want to do it. And I think the best description of that is, the Bible says that men prefer darkness rather than light. And here I was preferring my rotten life to, to, to the light. And then I started having a flashback to the life raft and prison camp. All those thousands and thousands of prayers, God, spare my life through the war and I'll seek you and serve you. And I kept thinking, I came back from the war alive and I never even thought about those prayers. Never even tried to keep one prayer. That night, Louis gave his life to Jesus Christ. I got off of my knees. Somehow I knew I was still getting drunk. I knew it. I also knew that I forgave all of my guards, including the bird. I knew it. And I think proof of that is I had nightmares every night about the birds since the war and after the war. And the night I made my decision for Christ, I haven't had a nightmare since. 1949 till now, and I did some kind of a miracle. And the young boy who grew up always wanting to get even came full circle in 1950. Louis traveled back to Japan to forgive the prison guards that tortured him. He couldn't meet with the bird but spoke with many of the former guards. Some even accepted Christ as their savior. It's amazing, yes. It's amazing what God does, what he did in his life and his commitment after that to serve God the rest of his days. Um, the fact that he forgave his captors, that his nightmares ended, his hatred for those men who had tortured him evaporated. He even, as it showed you there, returned in 1950, visited Sugamo Prison, uh, where many of these prisoners were kept, offered them his forgiveness. They welcomed Christ into their lives. Uh, the Watanabe, the bird, had escaped. Uh, and even future efforts to try to seek him out, to offer him his forgiveness, were, were, were never returned. You know, Zamperita shows us that 
the power of Christ in a life, in any life, in your life, in my life, enables us not only to overcome adversity, which is huge, but to overcome our own hatred, our own bitterness, even evil itself through forgiveness. I mean, you, if you watch the movie, and it's an intent, parts of it are really intense, but if you watch the movie or you read the book by Helen Brand, or you just know some of the stories, you understand why he had every reason to hate his captors, to hate them, to despise them, to want to get even, to punish them. And in the years after the war, those, those tortures that they did to him continued in his mind and in his emotions. So that I mean, the reality was he was as much a prisoner after 1945 as he was before. But through faith in Christ, Zamperini discovered that forgiveness frees. Forgiveness frees. And that is an incredibly important message that every human being on this planet needs to experience. Zamperini said, I think the hardest thing in life is to forgive. Hate is self-destructive. If you hate somebody, you're not hurting the person you hate. You're hurting yourself. It's a, re, it's a healing. Actually, it's a real healing, forgiveness. And what's so power, powerful to me is that we're not talking about somebody here who led a pretty routine life and a couple people backstabbed them or said something against them or you know, cost them a, 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 a one little race. We're talking about someone who practically killed him. We're listening to, to a man who experienced true evil on a scale that most of us have never imagined. And not for a day or for two days, but for years. And yet Zamperini discovered firsthand the danger and the destruction of living with that kind of hurt. It was destroying him. It was making him angry. It was making him bitter. He was taking out on those around him, on his family, even on himself. You, you think when you carry a grudge, when you have bitterness in you, it's only your deal, you're wrong. There are people around you who are experiencing the poison with you. Someone said bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Louis Samperini said, if you cling to the ax you're grinding, eventually you'll only hurt yourself. And the Bible says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now, notice that when the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, that, that bitterness troubles us and corrupts others. And notice that the, the Bible uses the phrase poisonous root of bitterness. What is a root? I mean, a root, the Bible calls it a root. It's something that, that grows underground, that's not always visible, but it is stretching into fertile, angry, bitter soil, growing, absorbing, absorbing all that comes its way. So that when conditions are right, that root of bitterness explodes into new growth above ground. But the Bible also says it is a poisonous root. That is, it is harmful to us. All, all the while growing beneath the ground, it is sucking the life out of us. And some of you know exactly what that is like. Now, maybe you haven't been a POW, but most every one of us has had hurting, hurtful experiences. 
And when that poisonous root finally explodes above ground, it is messy, it is harmful, it causes unknown kinds of trouble. And the Bible says it damages others, it corrupts others. And Zamperini saw that in the life of his wife and his child. He had no intention of bringing that harm to them. That was the last thing he wanted to do. But that root had been growing. And that's what happens. When we have been unjustly hurt, when we're on the receiving end, we, we can easily begin to believe that our anger, our hatred, our bitterness is justified. It, it's, it's right to feel this way for what they've done to me. But what we're really doing is we're poisoning ourselves by storing up all that junk on the inside, allowing that root to grow. We are feeding it. We are nourishing it. We weren't made to keep that kind of stuff on the inside, as as Zamperini discovered. It, It eats away our souls, and most of the time, it's going to hurt other people too. You think it's just your your burden to carry your hurt your struggle man nothing could be further from the truth but even if it was only yours still too much the bible tells us love keeps no record of wrongs but hate and bitterness keep very detailed accounts you can recount every single hurt can it You've been hurt by somebody. If somebody said something to you, if you can't seem to get past it, whether it was two days ago or 20 or 50 years ago, and it is still there, you know how much power it has over you. Do we get any better, though, letting it just sit there or wallowing in it? The Bible says in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And I I know some of you cannot imagine how in the world this could help. It, it, It sure isn't what you want to do to the person who has hurt you. They don't deserve kindness. They don't deserve forgiveness. And let me say, that may be so in in some sense. If if they're not sorry, if they're not repentant, if they're not trying to make it up to you to right the wrong, to fix the situation, as has been the case with Watanabe the guard, why should we forgive them? Why should we let them off the hook? Why should we do that? Because God tells us to. God tells us to forgive because he knows that ultimately you and I are only hurting ourselves. We are the ones drinking the poison. The one who harmed us may not even know we're hurting, may not even care, but we're just stewing in it. And so the question becomes, who is punishing whom? Am I punishing them for what they did to me by stewing over it and allowing it to build up and embitter me while they go on with their life and maybe not even care or know? Who is punishing whom? If there ever was someone who was mistreated and justified to be angry and bitter, 
It was Jesus. I mean, the Bible says he did nothing wrong. Nothing. Yet we know he was cruelly and savagely tortured and crucified. Thank God he kept going. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Instead of revenge, which is what comes natural for a lot of us, Jesus calls us to pray for those who have hurt us and betrayed us. This praying for those who hurt and betrayed us is tied to an, to an even bigger command that Jesus gives us, to love our neighbor, to even love our enemies. He said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. I want to tell you, this is one of those passages that you read it the first time or you've heard it before or you're even thinking right now, man, I don't get this. I, I, it's a struggle. And, and if we've got an enemy right now, if there is somebody who is oppressing you, somebody who's giving you a hard time, whether it's a boss, a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, a friend, somebody that gets under your skin and Jesus comes up to you and says, you need to forgive them, you need to do this, you need to do that, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like what we want to do. No, what good is that going to do? I, I want to get even. They deserve justice. This isn't right. And I want to say, I mean, having that feeling initially is normal. But as you read through the Psalms, I mean, you even see some of that kind of stuff coming from David and others. God understands this. He, he understands what we feel but he would tell you and me that our feelings are not the best guide for how to proceed in life. As, as, as Zamperini felt that, he experienced even more bitterness, more anger, more drinking after his release to try to numb the pain. And, and it just it was creating a very destructive cycle. In fact, I imagine on our own that most of us have a very hard time forgiving someone else who's really harmed us or someone we love and moving on. So notice that Jesus is not saying this is a good idea. He's not making it as a suggestion. In fact, in this passage, he gives it in the imperative. It's a command. Jesus commands his followers. If you have pledged to follow Jesus Christ, if that is a commitment you made this morning or you had made some other point in your life, you are commanded by Jesus, we are commanded by Jesus to love our enemies, to pray for those who hurt us, and ultimately to forgive them. And in many cases like Zamperini's, we may not even be able to stop another person from being mean, from being cruel. But we can let God help us determine how we will respond to what's going on, what's happening. I mean, and let's understand this about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I like it. I, I can come around and see that it was okay or that it, it, I, I'm good with it. Forgiveness means deciding that an unfair act is not going to have the last word in how I live my life. It means that I choose to release the one who harmed me or betrayed me or whatever they did to me so that I can move on and I can heal. I will leave the justice of the situation, ultimately in God's hand, who can see everything, who rightly judges, and who promises us there will come a day of reckoning. 
my response begins with praying, including praying for the one who hurt me, praying for the one who betrayed me. And I don't say that in my response like Randy the pastor. I say that for every single one of us who has made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And it can begin with a very simple, obedient, honest repetition. God, in obedience to you, because you told me to, I am praying for so-and-so. I pray that you work in their life, you work in mine. I pray to forgive them. I pray that you will help me someday love them. I pray that I can release this hurt and this bitterness to keep, keep praying that over and over for days, for weeks, for months, maybe years. And I, it's, it's painful. It is not easy. It is not. There's some of you, you, you don't want to do that. You have no desire. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, first few times you do it, it may not feel like anything at all changes. But over time, over time, it becomes bearable. And at some point, by the grace of God, probably at a time when we don't even realize it, we'll actually start to mean it. God, work in their life. Enable me to forgive. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And over time, this kind of praying changes us. It transforms us as God works in us, removing that root of bitterness so that we begin to then pray to forgive that person who harmed us, as Jesus did to those who crucified them, him. Father, forgive them. And we may do it reluctantly at first. What that person did to us, the fact that maybe they don't even care may seem forever unforgivable, but it's not. The truth is, though, Forgiveness, we can throw the word around, we can make it sound like it's simple, but it is anything but simple, it is anything but easy, and yet it is ultimately rooted in the fact that by our own sins, maybe totally unrelated to the person who betrayed us or hurt us, we have hurt the cause of Christ ourselves. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Forgiveness of others is always rooted in the fact that God first forgave me that he first forgave us on the cross, that he is the model for how we are then to move forward. He didn't forgive us once we started living our lives well. He didn't forgive us once we turned our life around. He forgave us while we were yet sinners. Colossians 3.13 says, Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Jesus commands us to forgive on this basis. He says, Forgive us our sins, he taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I mean, this is not easy. This is not fun. This is not fair. But it's right. Because forgiveness frees. To the extent that someday we, we may no longer feel pain from whatever happened. As, as Zamperini, horribly tortured, discovered was true. Lewis Smead said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. That's the hope we have. 
a promise God lays before us as we work to forgive. That's the amazing experience that Zamperini had. His anger, his hatred, his bitterness disappeared. And for him, it disappeared immediately. It may not, may not always be immediate for us, but God will work in us until the pain is gone and we discover freedom that can come only through forgiving another, through offering that forgiveness. In reality, God did answer Zamperini's prayers on that life raft out in the middle of the Pacific and, 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 and in those horrible prisoner of war camps. He showed him that forgiveness frees. And he used Zamperini's experience and, and, and his life to tell us and to tell others through the rest of his life of the hope and the peace we can find through God. No matter what others have done to us, no matter what we've been through. Zamperini continued after 1950 traveling and telling others about the love of God and loving your enemy and forgiving. He would later observe this, sometimes what we see as a loss turns out in the end to be a gain, and sometimes a gain is a loss. I try not to be too swift to pass judgment on any situation, preferring instead to be patient and take the long view because I believe that in the end, all things work together for good. That's what we sang a few minutes ago. That, my friends, is a faith choice. It's not an easy one. Some of you, there's a part in you that doesn't want to do that, that doesn't want to let somebody go that doesn't want to let them off the hook and I want to tell you the only way it can happen is God's spirit living in you or me can bring that kind of change into us it begins by choosing to put our faith in Christ some of you do some of you have done this morning and then to let him guide you in forgiving whomever it is who's hurt you on the bulletin on the back side there's a blank there that says, who do I need to forgive beginning now? This isn't for me, but for some of you. You need to write a name on here. There's someone in your life right now that, that is, has power over you because you have refused to forgive. Forgiving does not make what they did go away. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't dismiss it. It frees you. Forgiveness frees. It may not happen instantaneously. It may take time. It's moment by moment, day by day. You choose to live out the biblical command to forgive. And I want you to know, we know it's hard. We offer ministries like Celebrate Recovery. It meets on Monday nights to help people who are battling hurts, habits, and hang-ups in their lives, to have other people come alongside you to do that, to help you in what that looks like. It's a place to battle relational hurts as well as addictions because often our addictions are rooted in our attempts to numb incredible pain that someone else has inflicted upon us or something that has happened in our life that we've never released or let go. And Tom Lewis, our pastoral care pastor, and other pastors are here and can meet with individuals to help you discover the freedom that is, is 
available to you in Christ. And you gotta hear, you're not alone. Some of you, you know this, you live this, that's great. But some of you, there's a knot in your stomach right now, even thinking about what someone's done. You can't, you can't even bring it into mind. Let me tell you, that knot is not gonna go away. But through Jesus Christ, you can forgive. And through Jesus Christ, you can discover that forgiveness frees. I mean, it's my hope this morning for, for those of you for whom this is, this is something eating on the, away on the inside, that you write that name down and you commit today to begin offering forgiveness. You may never say it to them. You may never see them. doesn't matter. But you can, through the grace of God, the power of his spirit, you can, in fact, for the sake of those around you, for the sake of the life that God has given you, you must forgive. And the good news is, forgiveness is real, and forgiveness frees. Our prayer team will be down here in just a moment. I encourage you, if you're struggling with that, come talk to them. Don't walk out of here today carrying a burden God didn't give you to carry. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, which is incredible, is sufficient for our every need. That through Jesus Christ, you forgave us. And he took our sins upon himself so that we could be forgiven. But it doesn't end with us, Father, for you call us to as well forgive those who have harmed us. That as you have forgiven us, we are to forgive others. What right do we have to, to, to not for all the, the harm we've done to your cause? But more importantly, Father, what harm we do to ourselves and those around us. You have called us out to follow you, to be disciples of yours, to trust you, to live for you, to obey you. So, Father, today I pray you would help us obey, to forgive others forgive those, the one, whomever it may be, who has hurt us. May we discover that forgiveness really does free. May we begin to live that freedom. Help us, Father, today to forgive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.